I appreciate how generous you folks are. You know, I'm around, out in different places and talk to different pastors in different churches, and uh, they struggle to get by. But, man, you guys are wonderful in your giving. And, and you, don't, you do it because you love God. And I, 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 my premise is you do it because you believe in, in the vision here and what God is doing. And we don't pass the plates. They're right in front of you on the table. And God bless, bless you when you give. I, like I said, I really, I, I, I'm amazed, actually. How to pass life's greatest test. I think, here's a statement I believe is an absolute, and I'm yammering a lot about this post-truth world because it's the book that I'm in right now, and, and it makes so much sense that in 20 or 30 years, America won't look like it does now, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's going in, in more of a negative way. But, but in that post-truth philosophy, there are no absolutes, absolutely none. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but there, there are none. It's whatever you feel is right is right, regardless of what that looks like. And that's a frightening thought as, uh, as you look to the future. Here's the absolute. Life is a vast series of tests. Unfortunately, we don't always have the answers. We, we, God asks us the questions, and we ask Him, and He, he doesn't answer them immediately. Uh, you guys probably haven't seen any, any of this guy for a long time. But Mr. Bean is going in to take a test, and he doesn't know the answers, so you can, you can see his reaction and the stress that he has. Let's watch. You may open the envelopes containing your papers. The exam starts now. I think that's messed up, Bill. Don't worry about it. But you get the drift. He gets here. He looks at those questions, and it reminds me of myself when I was in school. Actually, but, uh, I wasn't allowed to have the Pink Panther doll on my desk. Life's a series of tests, and that the problems that we have are actually tests is what James tells us. There are passages of scriptures that that you just soon not read. Actually. <laughs> Maybe this is one of them, James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 12. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. And how many of us can say honestly this morning that it's a gift when these adversities come against us? You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. It shows us true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become a mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. 
Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. When we look at examples in the Bible, we, we look at Abraham was one such person who faced the test and uh, he passed them. And we see in his life that God gave him four tests, and these four tests come to us. And if you had to have it yet, uh, you, you will. Yeah, that's pretty much a given. When I think about school, um, sometimes teachers are, I call it sneaky. I apologize to all the teachers in here if there's any in here. But you come in, and I, it's, it's been such a long time in school, I don't even know if they still use blackboards or whiteboards or whatever. But in, in a lot of the classrooms that I was in, there was a screen that come up down over the backboard. So you get in there one day, and they raise that screen up, and there's about 10 questions that you have to answer. And you're like Mr. Bean because you haven't studied or read that chapter. Or you walk in and sit down, and the teacher says, folks, put your book away or iPad or whatever they're using these days and take out a blank sheet of paper and number one to ten, and there you go on that test. That's not the way God wants it for us. In fact, he wants... He, he tests us, and the way that he does it, he, he gives us this in advance that he's saying, if you come into my kingdom and you call me... Lord and Master, there's going to be tests, and that's, that's pretty much the way it is. Here's four. Here's four tests that Abraham had in Hebrews 11 that you and I will have, and perhaps we're in one of them right now. And it really boils down to the fact, are you really a believer? We can say we are, but it's in instances as this when the, the true colors come out, so to speak. Here's the first test in Abraham's life, that happens to us as well. Major change, Hebrews 1, or 8, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The first test of life is major change. God comes to Abraham. He, he doesn't even know God. God shows up and says, Abraham, I want you to pack up all your stuff and I want you to go where I want you to go. Abraham asked, where? That's the question. First test is where? God, where am I going? I'll tell you later. How long is it going to take? I'll let you know. How do I know when I get there? I'll let you know. Would you, would you follow God like that? If he told you, this week to sell your house and all your stuff and pack it up in a semi or whatever you haul it in. And then he'll, when you get out on the road, he, he might, he'll tell you where you're going, but not until. I, I don't know if any of us in here would do that, actually. Diane and I did, but we pretty much knew we were going. Major change. Probably is pretty tough for Abraham. He's 75 years old. He's ready to retire. He's ready to play golf and fish every day. He was ready to kick back and take it easy. But God says, no way, man. <laughs> You're ready for the biggest adventure in your entire life. And it brings this into focus for me this morning. There is no retirement in the kingdom. You might retire from your job, but if you're a servant of Christ, there is absolutely no... You know what retirement is for the Christian? It's heaven. You don't sit down. You, don't, you, 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 keep, you keep moving for God. 
Abraham had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of stuff. Mayflower and U-Haul wasn't around in those days. He had camels and cattle and sheep and servants. He was a very important and prestigious citizen in the Mesopotamian city of Ur of the Chaldees. God says, you're going to leave Ur and go to a place you don't know, but follow me. So Abraham packed up everything without excuse and took off. Now here is the first test of a real believer. It's following God and not knowing where you're going. Some of you are asking where this morning right now. Lord, where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to do ministry within the context of the church? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go to school? It's the where question. That's the first major test. God says, get up out of that chair and start moving. And as you take those step after step after step, I'll show you the way. Second test is delayed promise. Verse 8. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs of him of the same purpose. There's a word that's used twice in that sentence. It's the word promise. You should circle that in your Bibles. It's a very important word in the vocabulary of faith. The question is when. God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. Abraham wanted to know when and God wants to take God wants to base our lives on promises and not explanations. That is the, the point behind that. He waited Isaac's life, and he waited Jacob's life. He lived three generations in a tent. I can't imagine what your wife would say. Man, Abe, were you ever going to build me a house? Some of you are going through the wind test right now. When are things going to get better in my marriage, Lord? I've prayed, and it's just, not, it's just not smooth. It's not going the way that it's supposed to be. And there's tons of questions that we, we ask like that. When am I going to get married? When am I going to get well? I've had this illness. I've had this sickness, and I can't get rid of it. God, when are you going to solve my problems? When are you going to answer my prayers? When? The second greatest test of life is delayed promise, when? And a lot of times we've waited a long time for things to happen, and God does that. When I got called to preach, it was four years before God called me to a church. I thought it'd be, I can't even click my fingers, it'd be like that, that it, Four years later, he gives me the call. Four years go by, and then finally I get a call from Freeport, Illinois, wanting us to come up, up, up there. Moses waited 80 years, Noah 120, Abraham his whole life. God's believers, he gives us the waiting test, and that's hard for us. Third test, an impossible problem. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered God faithful who had made the promise. That's verse 11. Abraham's 99 years old, doesn't have any children. God says he's going to be a father of great nations. How embarrassing. You imagine Abraham's buddies at the coffee shop. Hey, hey, what's your new name here? Abe. Well, my name is father of many nations. How many kids you got? Absolutely none. How old are you? 99. Right. Where's your God's promise now, Abraham? Can you, can you imagine that? We, we tell people things like that, and if God doesn't deliver, how that makes us look. Impossible problem. Actually, in life, it was a, physically impossible. Sarah had already gone through menopause. 
What a word. <laughs> Here's where I usually get in trouble. Actually, menopause to me, in my own language, I call it the black hole. You go into it, and you never know when you're going to get out of it, actually. And I could go on, but then I wouldn't have any women speak to me for two or three weeks, so I'm going to move on. But you think about her age just in that. The Bible says when God said you're going to have a child, they laughed. What did they name the kid's name? What did they name the first son? Isaac. Kid's a joke. That's his name. That's what it means is laughter. So Abraham laughed, and Sarah laughed. But here's the point. God got the last laugh. She did become pregnant, and she did bear Isaac, bore him. An impossible problem is when we wonder big time how. Not when, not where, but how can this happen? How are you going to do it, Lord? Impossible problem. Lord, we ask questions. Maybe you're worried and discouraged this morning, and you're, you're saying, I don't know how God's going to do it. God, how are you going to help me? I can't make payments this month. How? How? How am I going to get my kids through college? How am I going to find time for ministry? I'm too busy already. It's a test in life just like Abraham. How in the world are you going to change my husband? How in the world are you going to change my wife? How, God, are you going to bring that intimate first love back into a marriage that's dead or it's dying all the time? How can I get through to my children? It's the how question of life. And the test of a real believer, a real believer will expect a miracle without knowing how. Here's the last test, and you probably know it's coming. You've heard this preached maybe a thousand times. It's one that God tells us that we're going to have in advance. And I look out and see your faces, and many of you have had this test already, a senseless tragedy. It's not the when, it's not the where, it's not the how. It's the why question of life. God, why is this happening? It's the ultimate test, actually. Abraham faced it. It will be yours, too. And this is the test that brings why to the surface. On September 11, 1992, De La Salle High School in Conford, California, won a football game. Then they never lost for 12 years. They won 151 games in a row. A star player named Terrence Kelly was on the 2004 team and was randomly shot and killed as he sat in his friend's house in a car. They never found the killer. There's a movie about that football team. It's called When, when the Game Stands Tall. The coach speaks at TK's celebration about this senseless tragedy. Let's listen to his words. I remember the first, uh, first time I saw TK, he was that uh, awkward freshman, all arms and legs with a, an infectious smile. A coach couldn't help but notice the smooth grace of his athletic ability. People always ask me what it's like to never lose. Today I am lost. It's as if life has taken more than it gives, and I don't know if I can handle it. Lord, I'm struggling. 
I want to understand why. Why, Terrence? Yes, Lord. Why now? But I know if we are to call ourselves Christians, we cannot ask these questions because to do so is to question your benevolence, your divine wisdom. But today I am lost. Mr. Kelly, Tigram, I can't even imagine your pain right now. <laughs> but you raise the kind of young man we all strive for. We ask our players to learn and embrace ideals Perfection, commitment, compassion, brotherhood, faith. From the first time TK came across that field, I saw a kid whose grace wasn't just athletic, but genuine in so many ways. He embodied those ideals. Yes, you never gave up on anything or anyone. And I did not teach you. You taught me. Thank you. Because when on some other day I am lost and struggling to keep my faith, I need only remember you. And for reasons we are not privy to, God wanted TK home. He is with him now. May God bless you. I think of all these tests, yeah, this is uh, the most difficult. And how many senseless tragedies that you and I face and have faced in our lives? Many times. And sadly, there's more to come. That's the fact of life. You cannot go through a week, maybe even a day, on the news that there's a senseless Tragedy. That boat in Missouri sunk and drowned all them people. All the school shootings. Your son, Carter. <laughs> you see what happens. <laughs> when you face these senseless tragedies with people, you you're like a sponge, and you, you soak that up, and you try, to, you try to, to take the hurt and the pain from people, but it's impossible. So it's lodged somewhere in your soul or in your psyche, and you can't hardly talk about it. I could stand up here, here the rest of the morning and list one right after the next. <laughs> I'm too emotional. I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't believe. Fact is, a lot in this world does not make sense. And people say it's not fair. Who said the world was going to be fair? God never said that himself. That's why there's going to be a heaven and a hell. Because one day when that great assize is held, God is going to call people to order. And he, regardless of who you are, you can be the biggest sinner, God-hater, going-to-hell person that's on this earth. And there's one day you're going to stand before God, and you're not getting out of it. 
You can squirm. You can rationalize. It won't make any difference because it's between you and God. Hitler cannot be let off the hook. You can't do that. I can go name despots and dictators and evil people, a whole list of them. If by some miracle they ask for Christ to come in their heart on their deathbed, that would be so, but I greatly doubt that. I believe in hell because of the fairness of God just as much as I do heaven. Senseless tragedy, why? This issue here that most people question in the Bible. You look at the story and how it leads up to the birth of Isaac, and then God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to give that boy back. I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to kill your son. The miracle boy, the miracle baby, the promised child, the one who all Abraham's hopes and dreams and inheritance is wrapped up in this young man. He represented everything that Abraham held dear. Our response to that is typical. It's not fair. We're in shock. This is not the kind of things that is supposed to happen within the context of the Christian faith. Why would God even require something like that? The Bible says this in verse 17 in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham was having a test, and it was a test of his commitment. And what a test it was. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. It's tragic. But here's another point that I didn't realize. Abraham didn't know God like we knew him, like we know him now. Holy Spirit hadn't come. Jesus hadn't come down. So his whole concept of God is, is, is what he's hearing here. It, it, it's to try to form an analogy. God always gets the blame for pretty much everything. And when God told me that, or my dad told me that God had taken my mom in 1958, I, I couldn't grasp that. And this is kind of, it goes along with this. It was a test of commitment. There's a lot in this world that don't make any sense. Abraham had no assurance that God would save Isaac or spare him. But he didn't have any assurance. He didn't have any assurance of that. But look what he had in verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead, could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did raise Isaac back from the dead. That was Abraham's confidence, was it not? If God could do what he said he could do, if he could take two 99-year-old people to have a baby together, God was powerful enough to bring somebody back from the dead. That was his confidence. But here's the point of Abraham's life. That's why he's such a great believer. He didn't question. He didn't ask God. He didn't dicker. He didn't argue with God. He just did what God said. People, I don't think you can imagine or grasp fully 
the, the, the promises of God, if we live in those and if we're obedient, how he's going to bless us for that. It's true for you and I as well. Because God is, God, he has the right to make any demands on your life because he says so. Can you live with that? We have to. There's, there's no other way. To finally surrender our lives and say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm going to trust in you. I might not like it. I might kick and scream a little. might, might even struggle. might turn my back on you and walk away for a while. But nonetheless, you're going to do what you're going to do because you're God and I'm just Eddie. That's it. That, that's, that's where we're at in life. He can do what he wants. It's his creation. In all actuality, he made you and I. A real believer will trust God without knowing why, even in the contradictions of life. And some of you right now perhaps are going through a test and you're asking God, why? Why did my spouse have an affair? Why is my child doing drugs? Why am I going bankrupt? Why do I have cancer? What is, what's the deal? There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Abraham, I'm sure that he did. There's nothing wrong with asking when God. There's nothing, how God or where God or why God. But the issue is, how do you respond when your prayer, when your cry falls on seemingly deaf ears? It's like C.S. Lewis said after the death of his wife. He said, when I go to God, I hear doors slamming, windows being shut, locks being bolted. God is silent. That's the test of a real believer. When God is silent and you still have to wait. So we've got two choices. We can abandon the faith, go back into the world and live like hell. Hopefully, whatever you do in that process that you can forget the pain, but I'll guarantee it won't go away. Or we can cowboy up and follow God. It's, it's our choice. You, do, you can do what you want. If I ask you, do you believe in God? Sure. Are you a believer? Yes. I want you to realize that Pal Gallup and a couple of other polling agencies did this poll in America. 80% of Americans believe or will say, I'm a believer. And you ask them, what is a believer? And they say, I believe in God. Big deal. The Bible says the devil and the demon believe in God. But you're not going to see them in heaven. It takes more than an intellectual assent to believe in God. A real believer will follow God's direction and he doesn't, when he doesn't know where. He will follow God's timing when he doesn't know when. A real believer will expect a miracle when he doesn't know how. And a real believer will trust God's purpose and love and character when he doesn't know why. That's the test. God never gave Abraham an explanation. I believe that there are so many spiritually immature people in the church today because we always demand an explanation for everything. We think God owes that to us. 
If you have all the whys and the hows and the winds and the wares figured out, you're not living by faith. You're living just on your own. Are you a real believer? The thing about human tests is when you take a human test, the key to acing a test is knowing all the answers. The key to doing that with God's test is, is your faith. It's like the song says, but even if you don't, Lord, my hope is in you alone. So as you think about your own life this morning, which one of these tests are you dealing with? Maybe you're dealing with a major change and you're asking, where? God, where do you want me to live, to work, to go to school? Where do you want me to serve in the kingdom and a church? God's asking you to make a major change, but you have no idea where you're going. That's a test. Only God will tell you that. And sometimes He doesn't. Some of you are facing this second test in life. You're dealing with delayed promise, and you're saying, God, when? When are you going to meet my need? When are you going to help me get out of debt? When are you going to help me with this problem or even heal me? When are you going to reconcile me with people that I'm at odds with, like Grant spoke about? When's it going to happen? When are things going to turn around? It's a test. Or maybe you're dealing with an impossible problem, the third one. Like Abraham said, there's no way I can have a child at 99 years old. How are you going to do it, Lord? How are you going to get me out of this mess I'm in? It's a bad one. I can't last much longer. Some of you are grieving. You've had a tragedy. You don't understand it. Why is this happening? Why did my wife or my husband get sick? Why did my spouse run out on me? Why, what am I going to do? I raised my kids the best I know how, and life's a mess. Why, God? God says it's a test. So as you look at your own spiritual life this morning, how, how would you rate yourself as a believer? Maybe some of you would say, I flunk. I don't pass the test at all. Mark 9, 24 a man comes to Jesus and says, I want you to heal my son. And Jesus said, if you had faith to believe, I'll, I'll heal your son. God acts in our lives according to faith. He says, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus healed that boy on the basis of that. It was enough. We all need to have a little faith in a big God. Would you bow your head with me, please? I ask you this this morning, are you a believer? God gives us tests. He wants us to pass them. Would you say just like that man said, God, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. Strengthen my faith in you. Lord, help me with my doubts. If you've never opened your life up to Christ, you can say this. God, help me to follow your leading even when I don't know where it's going to lead. Help me to wait on your timing. Lord, help me to expect a miracle when I don't know how. Don't know why. And when things seem senseless, when things don't make sense, when it seems like chaos and unfair, it's okay to ask God these questions. Lord, if you don't want to answer, I'm still going to trust you. Lord, thank you for this example of Abraham that you've given us this morning. Thank you that he really is an encouragement to us, and I thank you, Lord, that it doesn't take dynamic, unreal faith with an that none of us 
have to have. It just takes a little faith in a big God. Lord, help us to know when to hold on and when to let go. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need prayed with this morning, friends, there's people that will pray with you. If you want to know how to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would be glad to help you do that. If you feel the urge to pray, just pray where you're at. But just listen to the Holy Spirit and be obedient.